Uh, good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was the beginning of uh, Zion Trinity's, um, um, one of their pieces, but that wasn't the one I wanted to play. So I'm going to open with uh, their prayer for Aisha Legba. Excited to have in the studio wonderful artist uh, Chanel Stone, um, whose uh, Natura Negra is a part of MOAD, Museum of the African Diaspora's Emerging Artists uh, exhibit. And she's going to be having an artist talk on Sunday, March 1st at 2 p.m. Good morning, uh, Chanel. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Good, good. Can't hear you real well. Can you can you um uh speak a little louder for us so we can make sure we don't miss any of your your comments? Okay, can you hear me better now? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> um I wanna read a little bit about um, you know, sort of your uh your opening statement about your practice and then um, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and have you come to photography and this wonderful work? Oh, man, it's just so beautiful. Um, yeah, the images are just fantastic. And and then the um, uh, the centerpiece, you know, with the living plants, that's that's really wonderful as well, um, you know, as a part of your, your exhibit. Um, Chanel Stone's practice is invested in challenging insular views of blackness by expanding on narratives subject to black erasure. Uh, this uh, avidity has led her to explore the renaturing of the black body to the American na- landscape. Fueled by the conflicting lineage surrounding the African-American legacy in nature, Chanel is inspired to create work that highlights this long-standing connection to the land. She analyzes the black body's presence within urban forests as an effort to reclaim and reconnect to nature itself, even within the confines of the man-made environment. And and that is certainly the case in, you know, in galleries. I mean, a gallery is within itself, you know, a man-made environment. But then, you know, your your work certainly, you know, um, 
in your terms, renatures it. Well, you could talk a little bit about about your aesthetic and your practice uh, specific to this um, this exhibit. Okay, yeah. So um, I'm a photographer. So my medium is photography. I shoot analog, so everything is on film. And in this work, a lot of it is self-portrait, and I'm telling a narrative that is both personal and um, collective, meaning it's, it's like my own family lineage, my own understanding of these themes, but also it's an experience that a lot of African Americans have that have grown up in cities from um, the rural American South. So it's, it's telling both of those things, internal and external stories. Um, and yeah, I like what you were mentioning about how the gallery itself is also a man-made space. That's true. That's why I advocated um, for the installation to be all living plants mm-hmm. as opposed to them being um, fake because I feel like that was the only thing that I could include in there besides the photos that were grounded back into something natural, which mm-hmm. is uh, very important in my practice. Um, Renaturing is a big theme that I feel is um, continuous throughout my work, which is this idea of uh, Black people returning back to, to nature, to something natural. Like I mentioned before, I feel like there is a disconnect from that. If you've grown up in an urban city, and, um, you know, media portrayals that say, you know, nature isn't for Black people, like we don't like hiking, we don't like um, animals, bugs, we don't swim, like all these are lies, and um, we're actually really connected to it. And I like to um, push that message in my work. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, and and also um, in your exhibition, you have a slideshow showing, I presume, images from your family photo album. And as long as you can mm-hmm. talk about, you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned, well, you inferred the the migrate migratory patterns of African people um, who might not be indigenous to California, but you know, for so many generations, you know, after the migration, now, you know, this is this is another place where roots literally <laughs> are have been have been um, you know, transplanted and, and repotted, so to speak. And and so, you know, you have your California roots and you have your, you know, wherever your family started roots. And then, you know, we we toss we cast that 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 uh that literal or figurative um uh I guess uh, vine back, you know, to the continent, or or maybe to the Caribbean, and then to the continent, depending on how your people got here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if that is the route. So I want you to talk about, you know, those those slides, which have some really provocative and interesting images, and uh, and the roots. You know, like where are your people planted? Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Um, that's the familial. Uh, lineage thing that was a added theme in the work, which I was talking about, my own personal family lineage. So um, as I mentioned, it is talking about um, the renaturing, like black people that have grown up in urban cities, reconnecting back to nature. And that came from um, exploring my own family story of the Great Migration. They came from the American South, which is very some very rural parts of the American South, Texas, Mississippi, Arkansas and um, Louisiana, that's where my people are from, and they came to California in the early 50s, 1950s, that wave of the Great Migration, and they came, they came west, so my great-grandparents are the ones that moved in here, so they were children 
my grandparents were um, under the age of 10 in mm. Eastern California. And uh, my mother's side uh, is from Texas and Louisiana. They went back um, a few times, like, while they were children. Like, my great-grandparents sent them back to visit. But my dad's mm-hmm. side did not send them back. That's the Mississippi, Arkansas, Arkansas side, which is deeper, the deeper south. They definitely didn't go back once they left. And they were once they were in California, the whole family eventually migrated there as well. You know, originally oh. started for work with my uh, great-grandfather. They, they found work in California. My uh, father's side, they started working in um, the ports in um, Palos Verdes in Los Angeles. And uh, that's something interesting, too. They came to Los Angeles. That's where they migrated to, um, Southern California. And uh, I think if you look at that, so in the slideshow, it is a collection of um, my mother's side, and it's photos of them in California, but when they came here, but also in um, rural Texas, where they're from. And I wanted to tie that in to the show that connection from the past and where we are now. Mm-hmm. And and what about you? Have have you gone back to explore? You know, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, and uh, Texas. Well, yes, yeah, I've been to Texas a few times for family reunions. Um, mm-hmm. That's a popular thing with us. But I haven't been there in about a decade. Um, mm-hmm. That was the last time I went to Texas because my great grandmother she actually moved back to Texas um, before oh. I was born. She was there for a while. My grandmother, but her daughter stayed because uh, she met my grandfather. They got married and had a family, et cetera. So they stayed in California, but my great-grandma preferred Texas. And um, now she's here, though, because she's older. She's in her 90s now. But she moved back to California, um, I want to say almost 10 years ago now. She wants to be with the family mm-hmm. as she got older. But... Um, to answer that question again, yes, I've been to Texas, but I have never been to Louisiana, Mississippi, or Arkansas. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually want to um, extend the series in the future to photograph in those environments where my family is from, kind of really mm-hmm. get full circle. But no, I haven't been um, to the deeper South State. Um, a little intimidated, but I want to go to Louisiana, actually. I'm planning to go this summer. I think that could be a good start. As well as Texas. Wow, interesting. Yeah, my my family is um, from Mississippi and Louisiana, and mm-hmm. I was born in in New Orleans. And when when uh, my father migrated here was it was later was in the sixties. Um, he we never went back to to Louisiana to New Orleans, um, and I I went back as an adult, and so um, I always felt you know, sort of that kind of cut off from, you know, from having a, a primary experience that I remember <laughs> since I was so young when we came here of, of that, that history um, because, you know, the South for us is like, you know, that's our indigenous space. Exactly. So that's really mm-hmm. great, you know, that you're going to um, sort of pull it all together, you know, um, with regards to, um, because it seems like, you know, just from this particular episode of uh, Natura Negra that, you know, that, you know, sort of place, you know, is, is real important because the people, if there's no landscape, <laughs> and the people have nowhere to be, right? So mm-hmm. um, so you kind of, you know, each one of your, your, um, uh, your, your portraits, 
you give us a landscape to place you in, which is really wonderful. I just wonder if you could talk about about that, and because you talk about repeopling, or because you know you have these the way that African people uh, in this country, people of African descent, are being erased, like literally, like oh yeah, mm-hmm. that used to be that, gone. That used to be that, gone. And I'm sure you know similarly in Los Angeles, you could point to things <laughs> uh, in the same way. Oh, that used to be there, gone. Well, you talk a little bit about that and how how important your your work is to both personally uh, capture and and uh, these 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 spaces and and these people spaces these spaces with people of African descent and in, in particular you know your family, but just as a way to honor the presence of our people you know past and present. Yeah, um, these works. So what I was talking about a lot earlier was about um, the disconnect from rural American South and then the nature thing of returning back to nature. So what I was looking at um, in these particular photos in the, in the exhibit right now is the presence of ur- nature in the urban setting. So I'm looking at my mm-hmm. own backyard. And it was photographed, the works were photographed in um, Brooklyn, Los Angeles, and Oakland. I currently live in Oakland. Um, I've been based in the Bay almost three years now. And um, moving here from Los Angeles, yeah, um, I've noticed, you know, the story of gentrification. It's happening in L.A., but it's a lot slower, I feel. But immediately as I moved in here to Oakland, I, I recognized it quickly. And um, you can't help but be aware of it once you're here. And in the works, it kind of talks to that because those three cities that I mentioned, they're consequently all undergoing gentrification at the same time. And there is a black erasure that is happening as a result of that. Um, I remember when I traveled to Brooklyn um, last summer and getting acquainted with that. And, you know, um, it's just interesting because all these places were deemed undesirable at a certain point uh, Mm -hmm. to the outsiders that didn't live there. You know, no one wanted to go to Oakland. No one wanted to go into certain parts of Brooklyn. You know, um, L.A., you, you have a very strong black presence historically. So I'm seeing the beauty within these places as they are before they undergo, you know, the full uh, full effect of gentrification, you know, because now there's new populations moving in and the black presence is continuously erased. So in these settings of, of the three cities I mentioned, I'm placing myself in there directly in the middle of the frame, looking at the camera, just to kind of hold space in these uh, environments and to bring, to bring to light, like, the black presence in a different way. And I think that's important because to document it right now as it is because you don't know what will happen 10 years from now. Um, it's just it's happening very rapidly, but I think it's important to the historical cities of black people. Um, bringing our presence is um, deeply rooted there. So I just like mm-hmm. the photographs there. And a lot of um, the spaces that I photographed in um, are near public housing units, like the, the photos in Brooklyn. Um, they're kind of like a low-income housing. It, it looks like a project. I'm not quite sure if it was, but it was low-income housing. And in Los Angeles, I included um, photographs in my grandma's backyard, which I could talk about later. But also, um, there's a photograph of the Imperial Court, which is a project in... Um, the uh, Watson of LA, roughly over there, South LA. Mm-hmm. And I included that because I feel like those are the epitome of um, 
you know, inner city, the project. It's a very unnatural way of living. Like, the units are so close together, courtyard style. And I included that in because even those are becoming um, erased. There's these um, projects in Los Angeles called the Jordan Downs. They recently um, tore them down, and they built a high-rise. So these, even the projects are being, um, you know, rebuilt, so to speak. It's a high-rise is erasing that history there, which wasn't a very good history that needs to be talked about, but it's kind of like getting built on top of so that no one ever really critiques it. No one really gets a chance to really analyze what that was. Um, and, you know, so I find it interesting, like, to photograph it now because we don't know what will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other other um, places on your list to to document and 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 um, sort of witness because you can see them because you know in Oakland there are a lot of high rises going up uh, to the point where you know when you're downtown Oakland the sun is blocked because you know similar to San Francisco in the business area how they have so many tall buildings you can't the sun doesn't doesn't touch the street. Similarly, in Oakland, um, which was a very sunny city, <laughs> you know, those buildings are so tall. Um, you know, you could be standing on a warm day and, and be in the shade um, and try to find a place for where where can you stand so that you get some of the sunshine. I was wondering, are there any other uh, locations on your list that you're thinking, oh my goodness, this one might not be around and it's really precious. I need to like document this, you know, as a part of my practice, just in case? Well, I currently live in West Oakland, um, really close mm-hmm. to the West Oakland part. So a part of me is attracted to photographing a lot of the old Victorians that are still around mm-hmm. before they get repainted and the new group moves in, all that stuff like that. There's a lot of beautiful streets in West Oakland that uh, you can tell it's suburb at one time. So I think something like that is something I want to photograph. Um, going back into Fruitville or other parts of the east, because I don't uh, go into East Oakland too much, and when I do go, it's a whole different world over there, meaning like it looks very different from Central Oakland. But people are starting to move there. They're starting to gentrify that area, and it's very black in East Oakland, and I think it's important to to document it because it's next on the block, as they call it, um, next on the shopping block. Like People are starting to go more and more east, so I'm kind of interested in areas uh, like that that are about to undergo the next wave of gentrification and getting them before it's, you know, full-blown mm-hmm. because of that mm-hmm. black presence and energy there. I think that's what I'm most attracted to. Yeah, yeah I was just thinking um, you're talking about, you know, East Oakland, um, which which has undergone a whole lot of shifts, you know, from from East 14th being renamed International Boulevard um, to um, that particular part of Oakland, you know, in the 60s when it was a major area of, of activism and, um, and, and resistance uh, to now where it's, um, you know, um, sort of moving toward predominantly, um, you know, Latino and, you know, as far as the businesses and, and the people and, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of the people in in what we call East Act, uh East Oakland, which is really like South Oakland. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're you know they're I don't know I guess 
there is home ownership, but we see a lot a lot of people that are very that are displaced. I mean, we've got Allen Temple, which is a hundred years old, you know, institution. As of last year, they had their centennial, um, you know, celebration, and they have you know property, and uh, and then we have Axe Full Church, um, which also has property, but. I don't know. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, sort of the face of of uh, people of African descent, you know, having like a location, it's getting hard to find a place like that in, in Oakland, you know, where you yeah. can like go into black community. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering sort of um, uh, if if you were thinking, you know, in your practice at all to juxtapose sort of like the trends, you know, like, for instance, if you're looking at Los Angeles, you know, looking at, you know, sort of images when Los Angeles had a, a really strong black presence and, and mm-hmm. you could see it, you know, and then, and then, you know, when you were coming up and then now, just so people could see, well, you know, this is not new, this moving black people around like they're pieces in a, on a chessboard <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and then moving them off the board completely. Yeah, that's something um, I want to go deeper with the because I was explaining earlier about wanting to include the rural aspect in by going to the south. I do want to mm-hmm. explore the urban side of the project more too, based on what you were saying. Um, by you know taking more field trips to Los Angeles right now, I one black neighborhood I feel like that's still standing is Crenshaw. And then mm-hmm. near Crenshaw, you have Baldwin Hills, Madera um, Heights, et cetera. And now Inglewood, but Inglewood is undergoing gentrification. They're building a football stadium down there, which has transformed that whole area. It's not done yet, but um, rent is already increasing down there. People see mm-hmm. it coming. There's a lot of black home ownership in Inglewood, but, you know, the temptation to sell comes up quite often. That's a tactic. People sell because now their property value has increased significantly, and, and other folks get their houses, et cetera. But um, it turns out you know, that's going to go identification rapidly, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people are finding that it's closer to get to, um, to the area, very industrial area, and people work. Then commuting from um, the valley, et cetera, people are moving in there. It's a shorter commute. That's how they uh, advertise it. So then that area gets gentrified. They, they built two trains going through it, two metro trains um, that are above ground, one that takes you to Santa Monica, the other one that's going to take you to the LAX airport. So when they build things like that above ground, especially, it just it just destroys the neighborhood. It's like you have two major trains, um, you know, you're destroying the essence. It's a small radius too. Crenshaw's not that big, and then within Crenshaw you have Limerick Park, which is a very special area. Even that is starting to become more and more erased. So yeah, there's a kind of an urgency with some of these places because it's happening faster than um, predicted. So yeah, I do want to go back to photograph that neighborhood, for instance. And then in mm-hmm. Oakland, um, doing more research about what still remains. And then also just going down there, even if we don't have um, ownership there per se, it's just the fact of uh, these iconic boulevards, you know, that has historic weight. All of that's important. So it's becoming more of a research project, too, so I've learned on mm-hmm. the next iteration of this. Definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you, um, like... Is there a narrative? Like, are you writing about this? Like, is there, um, like you said, it's 
sounded like a research project. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you are definitely doing your research. Um, you know, we could tell that this is not random. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, are you going to have, like, you know, sort of a narrative connected to the exploration of these places, or is there, does it exist, and where can people find it uh, once you give us your website? Oh, um, right now it, it lives on the website. The writing that exists is just um, more so more so the project description. I haven't mm-hmm. done um, official writing like a paper or something to go with yes. this. But now that you've mentioned it, that could be something in the future added because, um, mm-hmm. you know, when people saw the work in the exhibition, they were able to tell certain locations like, oh, is this Brooklyn? Um, you know, that was something mm-hmm. that stood out. So I was assuming that... Um, most people could recognize the locations off top just by aesthetic. But no, I think maybe having some writing to it for those that are interested in reading more would be smart, you know, to really talk about all these things um, more in detail. But yeah, right. thank you for mentioning that. Um, that's something I need to include. I can think about that. But that would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Then, then your audience can, um, you know, sort of think uh, more deeply about, about what they're looking at. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, your audience, you know, when you, you don't want to tell them what to find in the art, in the work, but it's it's more than they can necessarily intuit because they yeah. have to kind of know more about what they're looking at. And, and, you know, everyone, you know, visiting, you know, a gallery, they come with different experiences. And if, sure. they, if their history doesn't include this particular kind of material, you know, either personally or or academic, then they're going to miss some important connections. And, uh, yeah, just in the composition, you know, of the different pieces, you know, we could tell that a lot of thought went into it. Why don't you talk a little bit about about the name you chose for the work? Mm-hmm. Nature is Latin um, for Black Nature. And I decided to call it that in um, Latin rather than just in English, because I like how black in Latin is um, negra with the A, mm-hmm. similar to Spanish, it has it with the O at the end, and I feel like mm-hmm. it's tied more to um, the historical significance of that word, like that is one uh, black people were identified as in America, Negro, per se, and I like how uh, with Nicola, negra, it, it kind of like feminized it a bit, but also just you could see it in the word, so you know there's something there. With, with seeing that with negra instead of just black nature, like I said. And then it means nature, but also means natural. So it could be like the black natural as well. And I, mm-hmm. I like that because I wanted to just show you uh, nature in a different context. So that name has some weight to it with that, like the literal meaning. Because like I said, nature was perceived to be this thing that isn't for us anymore. Our only relationship mm-hmm. to the American landscape, you know, as they tell in history, it's slavery, you know, terror. Like, we're afraid of it. Like, they, you know, the, the traumas and the brutalization, which is true. That is part of history, but that's not exclusive. There's a lot of beauty within nature, too, that we are connected to ancestrally um, in this mm-hmm. state and um, abroad, like, where we come from on the larger scale, like you said, the Caribbean or Africa. So mm-hmm. that's why I included that, that title, the Rooted Back Then. Ah, nice, nice. Here the blackness. Yeah, um, uh, the uh, the founding director of the uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture, um, Lonnie G. Um, Bunch III, um, has a new book, and he was um, in town 
uh, a couple of days ago, um, you know, um, in a conversation um, about this book, A Fool's Errand, Creating the National Museum of African American History and Culture in the Age of Bush, Obama, and Trump. And I was just thinking, you know, sort of, uh, you know, around like looking at, you know, Natura Negra and your whole idea of, you know, of sort of recognizing and, you know, sort of just through your work archiving, you know, this, Mm -hmm. you know, the natural, like it's natural for black people to be in these spaces, right? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, African people are an indigenous to these different spaces where they're being erased. It's not like um, they're weeds and we need to exterminate them, right, or pull them up by the roots. And and uh, literally, because, you know, you've got plants and you plant plants and you can move, and, and when you don't want them anymore, you remove them by pulling up their roots. And I was just wondering if, you know, sort of in thinking about, you know, sort of um, museums and gallery spaces and and just the whole idea of, you know, having this, you know, National Museum of African American History and Culture and having a museum of the African diaspora and, um, you know, and sort of the reasoning around, like, why it's important <laughs> uh, to to have these images, you know, sort of as a counter narrative. Uh, I'm going to throw one more thing in here. <laughs> um, and I hope I hope I don't, you know, like, oh, my God, what is she asking? Um, but last night, you know, Toni Morrison's um, birthday um, mm-hmm. is this month. She uh, Her birthday uh, is February 18th, and I believe she would have been 89 or something like mm-hmm. that. And last night I went to a, a new space for me, uh, the Mechanics Institute, like right near Mount Montgomery. And... Um, uh, and it was a really wonderful sort of celebration of her her life and, and work. And so um, the different um, poets, writers, scholars, filmmakers, they all chose something of hers to read. And and it's so funny. I think everyone chose something from Beloved. <laughs> and, and I just think, you know, just sort of Beloved. And, and you know, you think about that scene where, um, you know, the elder – is in in the in the clearing, and she's calling on people of of African descent, all the different ages, the children, the women, the men, to love themselves because if they don't love themselves, these other people won't. You know, so you need to love your your arms, your hands, your face, you know, your lips, and and so anyway, I just think sort of this idea of 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 um, noticing, documenting, you know. With, with, you know, like, this is beautiful. You know, you're not just, like, taking pictures just to taking pictures. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is beautiful. This is a space where African people have um, contributed to this landscape, and it's something that might not be here. Um, because, like you mentioned, you know, these various trains coming through, like the one that's, that's being, um, that's getting ready to come through on International in Oakland, and you talk mm-hmm. about the displacement that these these rail systems. I mean, they already had they have one in San Francisco down Third Street. It already did what it was gonna do, you know, mm-hmm. negatively to that community. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just wanted if you could talk a little bit about sort of, um, you know, the idea of, you know, the importance of having, you know, these these places where we could return. You know, just in case we come back after visiting somewhere 
and we can't we can't figure out where we are in the picture because it's so changed. Yeah, that's what I was saying, the power of documentation, the power of photography. It's just mm-hmm. also around us to see deeply and to honor and respect what is around us. Like, you know, being in an inner city already presents a set of challenges, but being able to just notice the trees, the plants around you, it's symbolic. Like, a lot of the presence of these plants in the work is a metaphor for our resilience. You know, we've outgrown our confines, but we've done our best with the with the constraints put upon us based on um, mm-hmm. our race, our economic background, whatever. And we've done our best with it and made beautiful spaces with it. Um, for instance, um, Oakland at a time being seen undesirable from those that lived in San Francisco. The community and the history and the legacy of Oakland is so thriving. It's, it's amazing what was done here on this land. And now that it's you know, becoming gentrified, it's like as if all that history becomes erased or it becomes a shell of its former self. I think it's important to just document while we still can what's there because black people have always been resilient no matter where they've been placed. We may do what we have and we've made vibrant cultural hubs wherever we've been. And that's what I'm showing in the work through the metaphor of plants. These plants are growing. They're very lucky things that you almost can't believe it's in a city, but it is. And, um, you know, it's not glossing over all the um, trials and tribulations that we face living in inner cities, and it's not to say um, the inner city is perfect, but it's just showing you the beauty of ourselves, um, even in these confines, still growing, still thriving, still holding space. And, you know, as a result with the photo, it's also documenting something deeper, like we said, um, our history, you know, our presence, literally. And, uh, yeah, it is, a, it is connected to that Morrison quote in the sense that we should love ourselves and recognize our resilience and our place in these spaces before, um, you know, because gentrification happens subtly. You don't even realize you're being erased out of the picture until it's um, mm-hmm. gone full blown, you know, it's reached mm-hmm. final form. So just, you know, recognizing that. And um, those are the metaphors I want to portray uh, in the work. And I feel like mm-hmm. they, um, they are in that way based on the, the feedback from you and from others, how they've interpreted I'm very happy that people are seeing that. And hopefully you see that, you're able to see that within yourself too, in your own place, in your community, and the city that you live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, the work that, um, you know, specific work. And, and one that I wanted to ask you about is this really beautiful one where you're sort of like standing in the middle of all of these leaves and mm-hmm. and and it almost looks like you're in a ballroom dress, like the leaves are the bottom of the dress. <laughs> and they're really big. I don't know if they look like greens, but I don't know what they are. And I want you to tell us about that particular image. Um, it's really beautiful. Um, yeah, and I don't know where it is because I I I can't read um, the the uh, um, the card on the side of it from my photographs. So I don't know. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that one is my favorite piece in the show. It's, it's the largest piece. Uh, it's almost 60 inches uh, wide. And it is um, a photograph of me standing inside of this gigantic leafy green plant. It's photographed in Brooklyn, actually. That was in front of the uh, housing project I was talking about earlier. So a, oh, okay. a low-income housing unit, a very, very mm-hmm. affordable housing And um, it's in the middle of a courtyard, a concrete courtyard. But there's this plant in the middle growing out this little square cut out. It's overgrowing. It's huge. And um, as Wanda mentioned, me standing in it, it kind of does resemble a dress. I didn't see that at first, but when more folks started pointing that out, 
It does look like that. And the title of that piece is called um, In Search of a Certain Eden. And say with that, that again. Um, say in, search, tell me. Oh, in Search of a Certain Eden. Mm-hmm. Like the Garden of Eden. So uh-huh. I mentioned that because um, it's kind of going back to what we said, an origin story for African-Americans, you know. For us, we're displaced like two times over. One from um, the continent, but then twice from the American South, which is like the closest thing we can get to the understanding where we come from. And then, you know, being in the city, you're twice removed from all of that. So I feel like in these spaces, uh, finding these lush urban scenes, they reminded me of the Garden of Eden somewhat. Mm-hmm. primordial origin stories. So I, it's in search of one, though, not like this is it, but it's like we're mm-hmm. searching for our options. We're searching for an understanding. And I feel like that understanding comes when we connect back to the natural at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, African, black people are the first on the planet. Like, we're very connected to nature. That is us. So that's kind of what I was thinking at um, with that. And I've, you know, to me, that um, scene with me saying another plant recalls this painting called The Disabled um, Venus. And uh, it's this painting of a black woman standing in this uh, seashell in the ocean. And it's similar to the European version, which is um, Botticelli's Venus um, depiction. I think it was Aphrodite or something like that. But there is a black version, black woman in a seashell in the middle of the ocean. And it's, it's supposed to be uh, reminiscent of the uh, transatlantic slave trade, calling to that history. And that um, is interesting to me because the plant kind of looks tropical. When you see it, you can't really tell what kind of plant it is, but it's very lush looking. And the tropicalness of that plant how it resembles that. It reminds me of the Caribbean. It kind of calls in that legacy, too, like you mentioned earlier. Um, some of us can tie it back to the Caribbean. And from the Caribbean, we can tie it back to Africa, you know, through the, mm-hmm. the migration patterns of that. So that's what that recognizes, um, or resembles, I should say. Um, that's the metaphor I was going with there. Um, you know, and also it calls to the idea of resilience, like I said, outgrowing your confines, you know. In the middle of this courtyard, there's this uh, public housing unit behind it, it can make sense, but still you could thrive, like, even with those unnatural constraints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in each one of these um, <clears throat> images, um, um, like the one um, where, um, you know, on the uh, uh, on the brochure for the um, um, for the exhibitions, because um, you're a part of a really wonderful exhibition. You know, all of them are closing on on Sunday, but yours is a part of an exhibition that includes um, uh, you know, Black is Beautiful, the photography of Kwame uh, Brathwaite, and um, and and it's so interesting. All of all of the the work yours is you know, sort of a statement about black is beautiful. Yeah, the black presence is beautiful. You know, the black past is beautiful. And and the reason why, you know, black people need to not be erased from these landscapes because they bring so much beauty to, you know, um, to the, the spaces wherever we occupy, you know, um, that there are. And then, you know, the one, um, the, the exhibition, Don't Shoot an Opus of the Opulence of Blackness, um, <clears throat> is also, you know, sort of a statement around black beauty, but as well as sort of how the toxicity of these spaces that are are trying to erase us, you know, these municipalities, you know, these these institutions 
you know, how to like, you know, sort of those, you know, that, that wall in there where, you know, you could put the words that are, are painful, words that are destructive as opposed to uh, instructive and words that tear you down as opposed to build you up. You can put them on this wall, which is kind of cool. Uh, and there is also a list of other words. And, and then there's all these folks, these, all these wonderful films. And, and then downstairs, you know, you have the Bay of Fall looking at, sort of African interpretation of, you know, Sufi uh, Islam, you know, through the lens of Sheikh uh, Amadou Bamba, you know, in Senegal. So, you know, this is just like you are, you know, this whole exhibition is just like so phenomenal. So do you want to talk about your work in the context of what's surrounding your work, like what's holding your work? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, everything at Moab right now is photography. That's the, that was the theme for this uh, exhibition season, and I feel like in the context of those other shows with my work, it's basically showing the power of photography as a medium to represent Black people. Black people representing Black people in photography, not a white photographer portraying a Black person. This is by for us, for us, by us, however you want to say, and it's showing that. Um, you know, the camera has a very um, negative history, you know, uh, portraying African people. It's kind of inherently kind of violent, you know, even the terms like capture, shoot, um, you know, just those terms in photography. It, and, you know, it's kind of just claiming that, you know, that medium for us and how we prepare ourselves and showing our beauty, showing the nuance and um, showing the power of our own depiction of ourselves, controlling our narrative. You know, that's a reoccurring thing a lot of folks are speaking about when it comes to photography, media, movies. All of this is um, made possible. The photography, you know, the, the image essentially is like the most impactful um, thing I feel like we're exposed to growing up. It's like images have so much weight, they influence so much. That alongside with music, but in the context of um, this museum and these current shows, it's like photography. So I feel like that's kind of the overarching theme is us telling these nuanced stories that may have never been seen before and uh, mm-hmm. recognizing the power what they're not. Right, yeah. And you um, you just um, finished at uh, the California College of the Arts, and I was just wondering, um, just said about, um, you know, um, you know, African um, artists telling these stories and um, as opposed to being interpreted. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, through another another uh person or culture's lens, you know, that is not a person of African descent. And they're and they're you know, um there there's sometimes, you know, particularly if the artist is cognizant of what it means to be a black person, you know, in these spaces and in these contexts, then yeah, the story is definitely one that um is is uh told in a way that an appropriator cannot tell. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering sort of, you could talk a little bit about, if you have a few more minutes, you know, sort of why or how you um, uh, you came to, you know, want to, you know, practice art in this way. And, um, and, and what was that image? What was that picture that sort of set you on the road to, you know, photography? Mm. Yeah. Um, I've always been attracted to photography. I would say ever since I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I took my first um, dark room analog film class when I was a uh, senior. 
And um, I, I had a digital camera as, as a younger uh, teen. My father bought me my first camera. And, um, you know, my dad did some photography, and my grandfather did a lot of photography of the family. So it was kind of in our family lineage. And then when I took that class, it just set me off. Like, I really loved shooting on film. There was something to that. And then, um, you know, I stepped away from it for a little while, and then I came back to it um, in my 20s mid-20s, and I feel like what inspired me a lot was the works of um, Dina Lawson. Mm-hmm. She's a contemporary photographer. She does a lot of portraits of black people and their environments as they are. She does a lot of interior shots of um, black people in the home, uh, American, black, but also she's traveled um, internationally. She's been to Haiti, into Africa, parts of the Congo. But she does a lot of interiors, but also exteriors. And there was uh, one particular photo where she was in um, a green natural space. There's, I think it's called, um, I don't want to misquote it, either Adam and Eve or it's called Eden. And it's um, an African couple in the middle of this um, grass, grassy scene. And it's a new photo. And it just reminds you of uh, the Garden of Eden, basically, via with the black Adam and Eve. So things like that, those definitely inspired me. And the fact that she's a black woman photographer, modern. Um, she's still active now. That definitely inspired me to keep going. Also, of course, the works of Terry Maylene, uh, Lorna Simpson, those women um, have also inspired mm-hmm. me. So that uh, that was inspiration to keep going with it. And, um, you know, once you see photographers that look like you, that you can identify with, you believe you can do it, something subconscious about that. And, you know, have a career out of it. So that's what inspired me. And I feel like photography has just been the medium of choice. I like taking pictures um, and, you know, you know, um, able to, you know, not I guess capture scenes, for lack of a better word, you're able to just preserve it, preserve the scene. Mm. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm having, I'm having to like strain to hear you sometimes, like the last part you just said, I didn't quite catch it. And I wanted to ask if you, if you could repeat that. Um, but I was wondering if you'd tell me how to spell Dina. I was trying to look her up to see <laughs> her work, particularly the piece that you mentioned. How how do you spell her first name? Oh, Dina. D-E-A-N-A. Oh, Last name, I couldn't find Austin. it. Yeah. Dina, um, what's the second name you mentioned? Lawson. L-A-W-S-O-N. Okay. Dina Lawson. Okay. Yeah, she's a contemporary black photographer who uh, inspired me in the present. Oh, yeah, there she is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. yeah, oh did, say, you meet, um, did you meet her? Because oh. she was in, you were in Washington. Um, no, no, you weren't in Washington. You were in the, no, no, she's in New York. And you were in New York. Did you meet her? No, I, was, I haven't been able to meet her. Um, I thought she was a very private artist. I don't know how I would be able to. To arrange that, but one day I would love to meet Dina Lawson. She's inspiration. Um, I was saying earlier, um, basically, I feel like photography is the best way to preserve an image, preserve a scene. It's an act of uh, cultural preservation, but also self preservation because you can tell personal stories with it too. And that's why mm-hmm. I feel that's the medium of choice for me. Um, it's, Oh, you're you're breaking up completely. I can't hear you at all. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. So you were saying you. that that it was an um, act, um, you know, this this work is an act of culture and self preservation. I think that's really beautiful, uh, what you yes. just said. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I just want um, you know this to live after the conversation. <laughs> so like you was like, I can't hear you. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see, because um, I want to make sure that you know. Um, when people listen to this this interview, that um, you know that it will um, you know they'll be able to hear you know all of your wonderful insight, and um, yeah, and I was wondering, is there any? I want to ask you one more question, but is there anything else you want to say about the work? Um, maybe name some of the pieces. Your names are really, really thoughtful and quite um, provocative. Mm-hmm. Um. There's the one I mentioned called In Search of a, In Search of a Certain Eden. There's another one called um, A Granny's Garden, because I photographed in my grandma's backyard. There <laughs> is one called Imperial Mirages, which is the Imperial Court that I was talking about. And um, with that title, kind of hinted at how being there, it's so surreal if you were to, to walk experience that and also to live there. It's a very unique public housing unit. I called it that. Um, one is entitled um, Brooklyn Lush because it's a very lush um, garden scene in Brooklyn. And uh, the other one, some of them are just locational, like with one called Fruitvale, like you know it's taken in Fruitvale. And um, yeah, those they are very thoughtful. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, then there's one. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's one, I'm sorry to interrupt you, where, um, I mean, you, you sort of look, um, you know, the way you're dressed in, in the pieces, um, it's really sort of uh, almost as if you don't want to detract from the environment. You know, you have on a plain white skirt and a, and a you know, um, sort of a halter kind of top. And, and other than that, I don't think you have any jewelry. You're not adorned in any way. And so it's just like, and then this, the way that you have, you know, sort of the black and white, uh, you're sort of like you're almost you're almost bleeding into the scene, but then you you do have a presence, <laughs> but it doesn't detract from the image around you. Like everything, it seems to be uh, equally valued within the work. Yeah. You know how sometimes with photographs, the background is blurred because you want what's in the front to be more noticed. But with you, it seems as if all of it's valued, uh, valuable. Um, I think in the one that um, you know, in the brochure, it looks like a, is that a little dog or cat <laughs> to the, to the yeah. far right of the figure. And then you got all these beautiful plants. Um, and, and then there you are, you know, sort of looking our way, like, like we are interrupting something like a, a ritual mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like, yeah. why are you here? What's the camera doing in this moment? You know, sort of mm-hmm. documenting me, did I invite you into this, 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 this yeah. scene? Um, this space, it looks really private. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that one, um, that one's called Potted Earth. Yes, that's another title. And I was mm-hmm. showing, um, that was in my grandma's garden in Los Angeles. She has a concrete mm-hmm. patio backyard. And without, you know, letting that restrict her, she has a garden nonetheless with a bunch of plants, like a bunch of potted plants, like random containers, uh, plastic, ceramic, you name it. Like she's planted in anything, coffee cans. <laughs> And um, it's abundant, and it's, it's 
outgrowing even the pots. And I photographed in there because it's a very intimate memory for me. That's my first mm-hmm. memory of a garden. It's my grandmother's and um, how she made it work with her small space. So with that, um, it is a private scene. So it's kind of like I'm letting you in, but only so far. And I called it Potted Earth because um, it's earth-contained. That's the way I looked at it. Like it's, it's similar to a, um, a forest or, you know, just like a traditional garden, but it's, it's a within containers. And, um, yeah, there's, there's a, that comes in, too. It's like this access to something private, but also a, like a barring if you can't fully access it. And, yeah, mm-hmm. the clothing, it, it, it is about the environment more so. Um, being within it, it's not about me, per se. So that is mm-hmm. why I kind of, like, blend in. And I use the white as, like, a stark contrast. You know, it's black and white, so it stands out more. And also just the representations of the color white. It's, it's a loaded color. It represents so many things. Um, I was attracted to how it's represented in um, Yoruba, Yoruba sensuality. Yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. it's represented as light. Um, you know, light. Um, and I think that was uh, significant in, in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're not necessarily reading uh, it wrong when we we see this as sort of a uh, we see this as sort of um, uh, it's a it's a spiritual journey because there are spirits in these spaces and in these places because everyone is no longer. I mean, some of these places people are gone, and we think yeah. about the ghosts, right? And mm-hmm. and then you know trying to me- mitigate that energy. Um, you yeah. know, since energy cannot be destroyed, it only changes, right? So, yeah. um, or matter cannot be destroyed, it only, you know, changes form. So, so if, if you know, if people, you know, like you're documenting these spaces, um, but the material has only been reshaped and reformed and recast, and and there are still some energies just, you know, that are, um, um are just are not necessarily at peace with what happened, you yeah. know, because people lost their homes, they lost what was valuable to them, and now they have nowhere. Um, you know, last night at the uh, tribute to Toni Morrison, uh, during the question and answer period, there was a young man who was talking about how he didn't know, like, you know, sort of kind of where to place himself in that um he said all of, all of the places that he felt were home are gone, you know, or, or being removed. And, yeah. and so he was asking for some kind of help, you know, to, to, you know, sort of reestablish his ground and his stability because he just felt so off, off center. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. With the work, I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's like an act of resistance from that mm-hmm. erasure, feeling like you don't have a place to return to. Like, it's, it's so different. Things are gone. You feel as if it's not for you anymore. That's kind of what I'm fighting against with the work. It's like you are noticing the Black presence um, through my self-portraiture. Um, like I said, it, it's not so much just about me. I'm trying to tell a collective story. So with me being dead in the middle of the frame, you can't help but notice this Black woman just showing you, like, holding place literally like you will recognize if you don't see us in these spaces and um i feel like that's the only way to push back on it is to, to remind folks of like the history here the presence that was here you know as time was not mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah. 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 Well, really, this is my last question. <laughs> and thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. It's been really, really, really rich. Um, I was, um, yeah, I, I wasn't certain, um, and I didn't actually know this until um, I got a um, uh, an email. I didn't realize that um, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was approved uh, by a vote um, of 410 to 4, um, three Republicans and one Democrat representative voted against it, and um, and and they say that this particular bill um, it was is more than 100 years in the making. The House representatives, um, um, you know, like, as I mentioned, um, overwhelmingly approved it, and I think it's sitting on um, the president's desk right now. Um, and I was just wondering, and and it's called uh, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act you know, sort of um, just looking at, you know, what happened to um, Emmett Till. Um, gosh, um, what year was that? Uh, gosh, it seems like it was about, hmm, I'm not sure. I'm not conversant necessarily on that history, but I know um, when Emmett Till was, was killed so brutally and, and his mother, um, you know, had, that open coffin um, uh, funeral so that people could see what happened to her beautiful son, you know, her beautiful young son, that for many, many uh, people of African descent, that became, you know, sort of the beginning of their resistance, you know, until the laws changed. And I was just wondering um, if you had any any comments around, um, you know, sort of, uh, the maligning of black bodies, you know, the physical jeopardy that black bodies um, face in public. <laughs> like when we step out of our homes, we step out of our sanctuaries into the spaces. And again, it's really beautiful that you have, you know, the white, um, you know, showing, you know, sort of like the protection. Because when one wears white, the energy around you is kind of like different. Um, you know, it's so, it almost like stops it before it gets you because the white, you know, just wearing that color sort of pulls different kind of energy around you so that if there's something negative that wants to interfere, it's kind of like rethought. Because <laughs> like, oh, wow, I see all her soldiers around her. Like, mm, I don't know if I want to like, you know, try to try to penetrate that because I might not be successful. So anyway, I was just wondering if you had any comments about the Emmett Till Anti-Litching Act. Yeah, I just uh, looked it up. It was he was killed in 1955 in Mississippi. Okay. So it's been um, quite some time since then. Um, that's something I think about a lot when I'm even going to these spaces or walking around. Mm-hmm. Can't help but confronted with it over the last five years. I feel like maybe almost the last decade. Um, so many people uh, um, have been killed by police. There's been a lot of violence against black bodies that we are more aware of now. So even in your day-to-day, we seem it doesn't matter what you look like, your class, um, status, what, what part of the city you live in. It can happen anywhere. You almost feel like you have no protection. Um, so, yeah, even going to these other cities and photographing, that's, that's something on my mind. So um, I feel like what you call it white, I don't know, it feels like an armor almost. Like it feels like mm-hmm. a spiritual protection. But I, I have noticed that um, what you're talking about, and 
do the work. I don't know, just the power of holding space and, you know, this, these confident answers, like, I'm here. Once again, it seems like it's pushing back against that, too, pushing back against this fear that it seems like society wants us to live in as a black person, mm-hmm. you know? Being, mm-hmm. Seeing yourself as less than, devalued, um, you know, no one cares if you die. Um, I don't believe that's 100% true, but, you know, lately there's been so many deaths without justice. But in the work I'm trying to show, um, even in the face of that, we still hold space, we still have this confidence, um, we still are here. We won't be, you know, pushed aside even with that. We're still triumphant. So I feel like that's mm-hmm. something that I think about in the work. Um, but it is amazing that, that Bill um, has barely made it to the president's office now when that happened back in 1955. That, that is crazy. But, you know, historically, it's like we have to push for things for so long before uh, they're ever passed up by people. It's like that. It, it takes generations, so it seems, before something finally gets done. You know, even when you learn about um, the emancipation of black people from the South, uh, from slavery, I should say, they mm-hmm. still, the slavery was still existing through sharecropping. And through this family history that I was uncovering from speaking to my grandmother, I learned that my great-grandma was a sharecropper as a child. Didn't even know mm-hmm. that. So it's not that far back, our history. And um, sadly, though, the fight takes, like I said, decades, um, almost generations before something happens. And um, just recognizing that, I feel like that's something that, that, that comes to my mind often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was, well, it's been so lovely um, speaking to you, and I'm so happy that you introduced yourself to me um, last Sunday uh, so that we could have this, this wonderful conversation. And, and again, um, on Sunday, this Sunday, um, March 1st, um, you're going to have uh, your artist talk um, uh, at 2 p.m. Are you going to be in conversation with someone, or are you just going to be free-willing? <laughs> No, I'll be in a conversation um, with one of my friends, writer, poet, uh, Javon Newsom. He'll be moderating, as well as the writer, um, Taylor Crumpton. So we'll be in conversation together about uh, much of what we talked about today. Just certain themes um, about my work and then piggybacking onto collective experiences uh, related to it. And that'll be the talk. So it'll also be a um, closing reception. So from two to four. So there's, there's, you know, it'll be some time to look at the work, and then we'll get into the talk, and then there'll be a closing remarks. But I want to leave time for people to just see the work as well. So the talk won't be a whole two hours, maybe about an hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, super, super. All righty. Well, I told my niece about it. I was like, okay. Because she told me she has to be at work. I said, well, you can at least come see the exhibition because uh, the uh, Museum of African Diaspora, I believe it opens at 12, right? Yes, on Sunday. Right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so people can get there early and look at all the other exhibitions um, there because it's all closing, um, you know, getting ready for the next next show to go up. So it would be a great, great day to hang out at um, the galleries uh, and, and see these wonderful exhibitions, um, especially yours, and, and then stay for your talk. Well, cool, cool. Well, thank you again so much. Um, anything that we didn't talk about that you want to mention about anything? <laughs> like no, where are you no, going to be showing up all. next, et cetera? <laughs> oh, oh um, next I will be part of a group show at the uh, Berkeley Arts Center on March 28th, and that oh, okay. show speaks to um, 
environmentalism as a result, as it relates to art. So a lot of the things will be talking about climate change or just the environment itself. So uh, my work will be in the context of um, what we talked about today, you know, black relationships in the American landscape. Very uh, powerful theme right now, you know, people talking about the land and looking at the origins and stuff. So I feel like my work, different context as it relates to environmentalism, but mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely uh, re- relatable to that. So that's what I have coming yeah. up so far. And uh, there'll okay, be more things this year as well. But uh, my website oh. is the best way to uh, keep mm-hmm. up with me. It's ChanelStone.com. Okay, why don't you spell it out for people? Okay, Chanel, E-H-A-N-E-L-L, that's two L's, last name Stone, S-T-O-N-E.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like your I like your last name. I mean, your first name is nice, but your last name is like, uh, you know, stones, you know, stones, you can't move them. That's what I like about, you know, Zimbabwe is like, I don't know if you've been to Zimbabwe, but they have all these stone mountains, like the stones are on top of stones on top of stones. And you think like, why, how is that stone sitting up there and it's not moving? <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, I really, I'm really happy um, to speak to you, and um, I'm really happy that your work is a part of the uh, Berkeley Arts Center um, uh, exhibit uh, and conversation. Because a lot of times, um, you know, people are left out of the conversation around saving the environment. You know, people are a part of the environment, so you don't just talk about the leaves and the trees without talking about the people <laughs> uh, that are also are a part of of the same. Um, you know, these same spaces as important. And so, uh, yeah, you know, we talk about environmental uh, racism, um, you know, that, you know, that is, again, you know, sort of not thinking about the people, you know, who are part of these environments. And then we have industry coming in that is destroying the environment and mm-hmm. and the people as well. Yeah. And uh, so you started thinking about how things are more important than people and money is more important than people. And, you know, just like this is a sort of a tangent, but just thinking about, you know, this this uh, uh, strand of, of the flu, you know, that's now in California, you know, right over there in well, San Francisco. <laughs> and um, and then you think about, you know, this, this, uh, um, uh, this um, flu, anti, you know, this flu vaccination that, is being, you know, worked on presently and and how it wasn't going to be available because, you know, the the person was saying, well, you know, he wouldn't admit to making it available to everyone, like make it free. You know, Mm -hmm. it was going to be like, who can afford it? Those people will get it. I'm like, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because that's just where we are now as a society. But in the past... Mm -hmm. uh, the man that created the vaccine for polio, polio, mm-hmm. he gave it away for yeah. free. And they asked him, um, you know, um, why wouldn't you charge or something like that? And he felt like everyone should have it. I think he mm-hmm. made a comment, well, would you put a patent on the sun or something like that? Some, something along those lines where he just was like, nice. of course I'm going to give it away for free. You know, mm-hmm. this is human rights. So it's interesting how far we've come from that mindset where now vaccines, someone would possibly charge for it. That's, that's a shame. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right. And, and you think about the legacy of Henrietta Lacks and Gila, right? And how mm-hmm. her immortal cells have been used to cure all kinds of disease. And they didn't even ask her permission. Well, they asked her family and they said no and they, they stole the cells anyway. And they're still yep. alive, you know, all these all these years later, you know, decades later. And, yep. uh, you know, just on that, there should be no charge. <laughs> yes, yes. Unthinkable. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well I see we're gonna to have to have another conversation. Yes. You know, yes. when you when you move over to um to the Berkeley uh art uh center, yeah, we have to have you on again a little bit later on next month. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Okay. Well you have a good rest of the day and you know, happy Black History Month. Um we have an extra day tomorrow, twenty nine. <laughs> tomorrow next year we'll not be around, enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Do something memorable. <laughs> All right. I will. Uh, you Thank take good you. care. Again, great speaking to you, Chanel. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you. Bye. All right. Peace and blessings. So we're going to play a little bit from Oliver Mutakusi. Um, um, gosh, I was thinking I could just play <laughs> play the interview with him. I was just thinking about him, um, Zimbabwe on my mind. Um, but I'm going to play um, uh, the song, and then um, maybe I might play this interview. I was looking for my interview with um, the director, um, Jacqueline Olive, who directed that wonderful film, Always in Season, which is currently um, uh, available for streaming on um, Independent Lens, um, PBS.org, uh, it had it op- it was um, it's um, you can watch the whole film online and uh, and in the film looks at uh, the tragedy of African American teenager Lennon Lacey, who in August 2014 was found hanging from a swing in Blattenboro, uh, North Carolina, and his death was ruled a suicide by law enforcement, but his mother. Claudia, her family, and many others believe that Lennon was lynched. And the film chronicles um, his mother, Lennon's mother, Claudia's quest to learn the truth of, uh, and takes a closer look at the lingering impact of more than a century of lynching African-Americans and connects this form of historic terrorism to racial violence today. And, and it's just so on point, you know, given this legislation that I, I mentioned, um, H.R. 35, um, the uh, 106th Congress uh, Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. So, um, so anyway, I will actually. I think I'll put that information in the description um, for the show, so you can find it more easily. But anyway, I'm gonna play um, uh, Oliver Mutakuti's uh, uh, Naria.
that was Maria by Ala Mutukusi. Um, really Miss Tuku. And so I'm going to go ahead and play that interview that I mentioned. But before that, I want to let people know that um, um, that there's a, going to be a uh, conversation um, uh, about the exhibition um, uh, at Pacific Film Archive Moet, um, not Moet, excuse me, <laughs> um, BAM PFA, Tomorrow um, uh, at, I don't think, I think it's 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock seems to be the magic time. Um, let, me, let me find my details here. I think I have them. Oh, where are they? Let's see. Yeah, there's going to be, um, looking at the, um, the major retrospective, Rosie Lee Tompkins, um, a retrospective, really, really wonderful um, um, Work um, quilt quilt art and uh, this it's really really beautiful and uh, this work is um, uh, Effie Mae Howard is is the artist's name and uh, her pseudonym is Rosie Lee Tompkins and the panel tomorrow is um, going to be um, uh, it's going to be uh, the co-curator is going to be on the panel along with other uh, contributors to the the catalog, and uh, Elaine Yaw is is, um, is is the co-curator. And I'm looking for the details. And um, and as last time I tried to make this announcement, I couldn't find them. So anyway, um, <laughs> is at the uh, University Art Museum, Berkeley Art uh, University of California, Berkeley Art Museum, Pacific Pacific Film Archive. 2120 Oxford Street um, in Berkeley. And uh, for information, you can visit BAM, B-A-M-P-F-A dot O-R-G. And you can also call 510-643-3994 for more information. And the African um, Film Festival is also kicking off um, next week. And there's going to be a whole lot of African and African diaspora films and a special screening of In Search of Voodoo, Roots in Heaven, uh, Jaman uh, Honson, and uh, that's U.S. and Benin, 2018. That's on Friday, March 6th. So that's next Friday, a week from now. And uh, and then there's going to be a panel discussion followed by the the screening and the panel discussion, Spiritual Reclamation as a Revolutionary Act, features uh, Dewati Desar, uh, Wade W. Nobles, Louisa Teach, and Nedra T. Williams, these wonderful healers. And, and it's going to be moderated by uh, Tracy Brown, who is also the curator of the panel, and a series of other events that are happening um, because Queen Mother uh, Dewati Desar desire is going to be in town this coming week and um and so anyway i think this is a free screening yeah and then there's another free there's a free screening of killer sheep only for members so if you're a member <laughs> the the charles burnett classic that's going to be on march 24th and then the african film festival kicks off on wednesday um march uh 4th and uh, and it's going to have these wonderful films um, that continue through 
I guess we could say they could continue through. Um, um, I don't know. It looks like the fifteenth, if we include um, the the special after image with Suleiman Sese, but um, oh no, actually um, the African Film Festival um, goes through eighth. So there's film on March fourth, uh, April twenty fifth, Fatwa. Um, April 29th, The Two Faces of uh, Bami Leke, Woman. Um, May 3rd, African Short Films, Women's Stories. And uh, Friday, May 8th, The Mercy of the Jungle concludes that particular uh, series, festival. And then for After Image, Suleiman Sese, it's um, Thursday, March 12th, Saturday, March 14th with Bara. Brightness is on the 12th. And Sunday, the fifteenth of March, the wind. So, yeah, a lot of lot of African and African diaspora films happening at BAM PFA. It's going to be really awesome. But you can visit and find out about all those things um, on their website. And uh, yeah, yeah, and the uh, uh, African diaspora art of the African diaspora continues at the uh, Richmond Art Center. There's a party tomorrow, a closing reception on February 29th, and then the open studios are continuing, so you can go to their website and find out about information about the open studios that are going to continue um, and and the uh, exhibition, which I think it goes through early March. <laughs> but you can visit that website as well. So let me play Oliver Mutsukusi while I look for this interview. I hope I can find it um, with the director of Always in Season. Time you have since it took me like almost a half an hour to figure this out. <laughs> but um, you know, just um, <laughs> briefly, I was wondering how the tour is going uh, with these two wonderful artists. Well, it's been wonderful so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been excellent. It's, it's, it's a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. In what way? Have you all played together before? Because, um, yeah. Not, not 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 playing in the same 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 project. We have played, of course. We have shared the stage um, uh, in some festivals and, and and shows and so on. But not really like playing together in a in a song, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you're one of my favorite artists. I remember when I first met you a long time ago. Um, you were coming to San Francisco with this. Other like there were like more than three of you. There was like a whole, you know, okay. like orchestra yeah. <laughs> of, of, of African artists, like from you know yeah. not just Southern Africa, but from other places in the African diaspora. Yeah, that was Africa fate. Yeah, that was who. Yeah, yeah, really, really phenomenal. And and you really like us here because you you come here often. Um, you know, yeah. with your with your black spirits and yeah. just just shake it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember I was like so nervous when I first spoke to you about how do I say your name? And Oliver is like used to be my family name, so I could say that. But then the Mutakutsi, and then and then like Tuku, you know, you have your own, you know, you have your own style of music has its own name, and you have a you have films, and you're a choreographer. Yeah. And you were like a gorilla, you know, artist <laughs> in the in the in the revolution of your country. I mean, like. <laughs> uh, and I just found out you have a radio station. <laughs> well. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> you got 57 albums, according to your website, to date, and that was, like, 
back in November that this was written, so you might have more than that now. <laughs> well, I do. I, I, I do have. Uh, I do have sixty albums right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And since uh, since nineteen seventy five. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and you know, you know, it says that you know um. You compose music appealing for restraint and for tolerance, music about self-discipline and peace, you know, on the people of the world, and your good friend is Bonnie Raid, and you all have, like, this, this duet together, and, you know, you've, um, you know, your, your music is, uh, one wouldn't even know unless they know the language that, you know, you're singing about really important issues and, and you know, really um, deep topics, yet people can dance to it. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. I mean, I, when you talk about serious issues, you need to diffuse um, with, a, with, a, with a, huge, a beautiful tune that people can dance and you can diffuse the, the tension. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, like 23. You started at 23, and like, wow, that's a long time ago. Um, yeah. You've been doing this, you know, and traveling the world, and, you know, you've got your family involved, and, you know, want to um, offer my condolences um, on the loss of your son last year. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, um, Sam. And, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then you've also sung about, I believe, you know, losing your brother, I think, to... Um, yeah. AIDS, I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And and I think don't you have like a an orphanage um for children that you support with your work? No, I do, I do have I do have an art center that that, 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 okay. that supports that supports um I mean uh, new talents. Mm-hmm. You see the problems I had when I started I realized they're still there today. And uh, I thought I'd I'd make a facility for for the unfortunate um, the talent to come in and then showcase whatever they can do and um, hopefully help them from there. Mhm. Right, right. Yeah, and and you're like brave. I mean, you know, like <laughs> I mean, I mean you like during the time when I mean people in the west have such a I don't know, okay. I don't a distorted kind of a view of of Zimbabwe. I wonder if you could sort of tell us about your country and you know, like give us give us the insider story. Like what's what's yeah. it like there? Tell us about the people and and your work and and your inspiration. Uh, you're Shona, right? Yeah, that's Shona. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. Zimbabwe's got beautiful people, despite the 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 um, the, 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 the negative. Um, I read when I go outside of uh, some of the things, I get surprised at what was all this talking we, we, we don't see these things. But anyway, uh, it's a country of beautiful people. It's a beautiful country. People can come and visit and and, and see whatever they do and uh, in peace. Uh, Zimbabweans are peace-loving people. They don't want to fight. They don't, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. And it's only that the people, people. I think, I think, um, uh, it's only a handful of people that um, people talk about, and they don't really talk about a real Zimbabwe, the man in the street, the, you know, what kind of a person he is. And and I'm sure you know with with your music, you you talk about those people, um, yes. the people that we don't see, the people that are not you know on 
you know, the evening news. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, with regards to um, uh, the political situation, how are you able to, like, go back and forth? I mean, you're not in exile. <laughs> you know, you're able no, to. I'm a Zimbabwean. That's, that's my home. I'm a Zimbabwean. Uh-huh. And um, I truly believe, if, I mean, if there is any problems at home, how can you solve them on your way? Right. You have to solve it. You have to. You have to be there to solve the problems. Mm-hmm. You see. So, well, running away is not really uh, making any sense if you if you have to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, we do have a lot of Zimbabweans who who are who are off home because they, they wanted to survive. They wanted. Uh, the economy was just bad, and people had to go out and look for jobs and 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 all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You write um, on your website uh, in the section called "Music Against Oppression" uh, that um, before independence it was the fight against the Rhodesian regime. Our music then spoke against oppression and the repressive regime and how we were suffering at the hands of the regime. Uh, I left school, and for three years I couldn't find a job, yet I was one of the few guys among my peers with a fine secondary education. But I couldn't get a job because I was black. My music then helped people identify themselves, who we were and what we wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you say that, um, uh, uh, you know, at Independence you did praise songs just like most of the artists during that era because it was justifiable, justifiably Celebration time. You did songs like Zimbabwe, yes. that was celebratory music. Songs like Gore. Uh huh. Year of the People's Power. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were celebrating the demise of the regime and the advent of Black Majority Rule. Yes. Um, but over and above celebrating, you say that you were singing about self-discipline and restraint in that new era, be it yes. social or political level. Yeah, and and you know these these particular values that. Um, you know that you've been singing about and you've been holding true to your own self um they continue to be um uh current uh they they're kind of timeless you know these particular values about self discipline and restraint yeah so you can't run away from them because that's who we are that's that's life mm-hmm. you know even for us to 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 contact this this interview it's it's not because of our qualifications no it's because we are self disciplined enough to respect each other Right. You see, so that's very important. That's what I talk about. It's it's, it's something that we we live with. It's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, self discipline means you're able to to respect and love the next person. Exactly. It doesn't. You don't have to go to to to, to school or academy for for that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's inner it's inner self. So, um, do you feel lonely on stage, um, just you, um, without your black spirits? <laughs> well, 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 we we uh, we had two members from Black Spirits. Oh, okay. Uh, we're supposed to be three, but our, our, our third member fell sick, so he didn't turn up. He, he didn't he didn't make it for this tour. Okay. <laughs> but otherwise, the idea is we I brought we were three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Habib brings um, two of his from his band. And uh, Afel brings out two from his band, and uh, we become a 90s band. Uh-huh. But anyway, this time we are eight because one of us is not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So, um, so talk about since this is um, International Women's History Month, and you you write a lot about women, <laughs> black <laughs> women in particular, African women. Well, if you could talk about you know some of the women in your life that have you know helped shape you into the man that you are now and the artist that you are now, just sort of do some shout outs. Well, 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 it begins. Well, it begins. It begins with um, um, I was born as a woman, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, so why the woman beside me who take? Who usually people say there's a woman behind a, a successful man, but now uh, my wife is not behind; is right beside me. <laughs> she supports me all through, 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 all through. That's a woman, and 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 my pride. I have, I have, I have um, uh, four daughters, and 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 you find. The, the, the whole life is 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 is, is from a woman, and and I, that's why I have more songs that talk about uh, that talk about women, because it's, I feel life comes from a woman. Um, okay, I, I I got my master's degree uh, from a university of women, <laughs> <laughs> and I was covered by a woman. So it, 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 it seems my life evolves around a woman. Could you talk about you know some of your current projects? Um, I wasn't able to get your latest um, your latest recording. I wonder if you could talk about you know um, your latest album and um, you know any projects. You're always working on multiple things at the same time. You certainly know how to multitask. Yeah, I'll. I'll I'll soon be releasing an album um, called um, called Abiangu, uh, which is which means duets of my time. It's an album of of, of duets I did with a lot of different artists, uh, and mainly African artists. And uh, that's my next release. I'm, I'm I'm likely to release it as soon as I go back home. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but nice. but my last release I, I released it. Um, uh, last year, it's, it's called Dai Rai. Mm-hmm. And and what are you singing about on that particular release? As usual, self-discipline. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh there it is again, self-discipline. <laughs> As usual, self-discipline, it talks about a lot of, um, well, I just pick different uh, Different topics, mm-hmm. but uh, otherwise the, the, the main the main theme is just self discipline, ah. just sort of conscientizing people to remember the, who they are, remember um, uh, how important they are in in life, mm-hmm. because we you are born for a purpose, you're born for a reason, and um, if you don't if you don't just serve, serve your purpose, then no one else is gonna do it because God doesn't duplicate talent. Mm. Really. Yes. Oh, so we're all unique, and if we don't do what we're supposed, we don't, you know, take advantage of it, then that's just a missed opportunity, a lost opportunity for the yes. world community. Yes, and if and the whole world is lost because you didn't do your job. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I just remember when you said that that there's this whole thing of tuku sayings. I mean, you're like you're like a sage. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 what I what I use, I, I just use common sense. It's just mm-hmm. common sense. Yeah, I guess when you get a master's in the school of women, you don't lose your common sense. My brother tells me sometimes <laughs> when you when you get educated in these other systems, 
the more you get educated, the more you get educated out of yourself. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Wow, wow. So I um, you know, since um, Zimbabwe is, you know, in southern Africa, you probably, you know, know of the news that President Aristide and his family, uh, you know, are now back in Haiti. And uh, I was wondering if you have any thoughts about, you know, having the president of Haiti, you know, in your region, and, you know, and what do you think about, you know, his being able to go back home now? And have you performed with any, um, you know, Haitian musicians or anything like that? No, I, unfortunately I haven't. Mm-hmm. But, but like I said before, I mean, going back home is... is this is a necessity, really. Mm-hmm. People, you, you you need to help yourself and serve your nation, serve your country. You have to be there to do that. Mm-hmm. So going back, I think, well, it's the right thing to do, I think. I know um, the Haitians, the majority, were really, really happy, you know, to have him back, particularly since, you know, <clears throat> it's been, you know, over a year now since the devastating earthquake occurred and yeah. and the country is in physical shambles. It's really this one spirit when someone's there that, you know, loves you and and has a has a track record of, yeah. of um, you know, doing, you know, measurable things to help improve one's life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to keep you long because um, you all have to travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you this evening and um, and looking forward to, um, you know, this uh, new CD that's coming out uh, once you get back home and able to produce. It's really wonderful, I bet, being able to, um, you know, be autonomous and to produce your own work as opposed to being dependent on others to, um, to produce, okay. having control of your art, huh? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've learned it, though. The hard way through the the, 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 the the three decades I've been in the business, so um, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> so I think I, I think it's better that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Super. Well, it's been wonderful having you join us, and um, people can see you this evening, Friday, oh. March 25th at 8 p.m. at the Paramount Theater in Oakland, mm-hmm. 19th and Broadway, and you don't want to miss it. It's going to be simply fantastic. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, safe travels, and again, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you very much. Okay. Peace and blessings. God bless. God bless you. <laughs> so that was Oliver Musicuzzi, and um, we don't have any music to play of his, unfortunately. However, we will play something next week. But in the meantime, you can catch him live. So we're going to play Sister Beauty, um, Linus, and, you know, the um, uh, the tour featuring um, Sister Beauty and uh, Queen Makeda and uh, Sister Ira is going to be at Yoshi's this coming week. I believe they're going to be there on the 30th, 9 o'clock. 9 p.m., and then they're going to be at Ashkenaz Music and Dance Center in Berkeley. Uh, Yoshi's in San Francisco and Ashkenaz Music and Dance Center on the 31st, also at 9 p.m., and it's going to be phenomenal. So I'm going to play Linus <laughs> um, because this is really a wonderful piece. And uh, and then I'm going to make some announcements, and then we're going to be out for today. <laughs>
on April 2nd from 2 to 4 p.m., Saturday 2 to 4 p.m., the curator, Dr. Carolyn uh, Maslumi, is going to be discussing the quilting traditions in African-American culture, jazz quilting, and the themes present in textured rhythms, uh, the exhibit that's up at MOAD through the 24th of April. And then uh, also at MOAD, they're going to have a film screening of the Quilts of G's Ben. And I don't know if, if anyone listening was able to catch the uh, the Quilts of G's Ben at uh, the De Young Museum, uh, the really the newly refurbished and reopened De Young Museum. That was one of their first exhibits, and it was well not first, but it was one of the early exhibits, maybe maybe year two. And it was just phenomenal. And they actually brought the women, the artists, up from. Uh, from G's Ben to talk about their work. So that's on Friday evening, April 15th from 6 to 7. And, again, you can visit their website. Um, also next week, Saturday, April 2nd, that's uh, Saturday, from 1 to 4, and this is a free event, the Filipino-American Jazz Celebration is uh, happening, and April is Jazz Appreciation Month. So I'm not sure if our friend Eddie Gales is going to be having his um, Jazz Appreciation Award Ceremony at Velma's uh Jazz and Blues Club, but we'll have to check in on that. But keep your ears open just in case. Um, so this particular event, um, Filipino American Jazz Celebration, is at the San Francisco Maine Public Library in the Corret Auditorium, 100 Larkin Street, Lower Level in San Francisco. And the phone number there is area code 415-557-4400. Or you can visit www.sfpl lib.ca.us, San Francisco Public Library, California, United States. So anyway, that's going to be really phenomenal, and it's presented by the San Francisco Filipino American Jazz Festival, as well as other collaborators, and that's going to be nice. Uh, They're featuring a lot of great folks, Anne-Marie Santos, Michelle LaCroix, Tammy Lynn Hall, Hawkins, Eddie Ramirez, Jonathan Bautista, Eugene Warren, Michael Spencer, and maybe that's just the name of few. And again, that is on Saturday, April second, one to four. Also, God, this next next not next week. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God, we can't do all these things. Um, <laughs> also, um, this month there's going to be um, uh, the closing of Bless Me Ultima, which is at Teatro Vision, and that's a play by Rudolfo Anaya, and it's directed by Elisa Marina Alvar- Alvarado. And this is at the same um, uh, theater complex where uh, Tabia um, African-American um, Theater Ensemble uh, produced their Jar of the Floor. This is one of their collaborating uh, theaters in, in that um, facility. And that closes on April 3rd, uh, 2011, so you can catch it um, this week, uh, Friday, March, uh, actually not Friday, but March, 26th, Saturday, oh, actually, yeah, um, Friday, March 25th, uh, 8 p.m., Saturday, March 26th, 8 p.m., and Sundays at 2, and then the following week, April 2nd, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, um, they have um, 8 p.m. on the Friday and Saturday nights, and the Sundays are at 2 p.m., and for information, you can call area code 408-294-6621, 408-294-6621, this is a real classic, bless me, Ultima, it's real classic play, and it's you can visit teatrovision.org. T e a t r o v i s i o n. Okay, um, our daily bread, which is um, 
uh, counter post uh, production um, uh, of um, Amara Tabora Smith's uh, uh, project. Our Daily Bread uh, is a Deep Waters Dance Theater production as well. And that opens on April 14th through the 24th, Thursday through Sunday at 8 p.m. But until then, um, Amara is actually sort of making having gatherings with people sharing food. And the next gathering is April 2nd, uh, and that's going to be a counterpost. Food, tradition, sewing, and quilting. That should be interesting. And then there's another one, uh, April 9th, another gathering, uh, fresh from the oven at at the Tenderloin National Forest, and that's a really wonderful um, art space in San Francisco as well. And then again, um, the uh, the dance production opens uh, formally on April 14th and continues through the 24th at Counterpost, which is in San Francisco, uh, on Mission Street, 1310 Mission Street at 9th in San Francisco. You can visit counterpost.org for all of these dates. And then um, Amara is going to bring her piece over to um, La Pena Cultural Center in the East Bay in Berkeley on May 22nd. So we'll give you some reminders, and Amara's going to join us on the air to talk about our daily bread, you know, the whole thing around, uh, you know, food traditions. Uh, Dimensions Dance Theater is premiering Catalyst One by One with the Moroccan Project featuring Khalil Shahid and Yashio Chatli on Sunday, April 17th at 3 p.m. at the Malanga Cascalor Center for the Arts, 1428 Alice Street in Oakland. And you can visit dimensionsdance.org, uh, D-I-M-E-N-S-I-O-N-S-D-A-N-C-E.org. You can also visit them on Facebook. That's going to be great. And if you were able to attend uh, Diamanacora's 16th uh, Collage, uh, the African Dimensions did uh, a little preview of that uh, event. And if you were able to catch black choreographers here and now, uh, he did a, they did a preview with the musicians, so that was really well. That um, that's a good entree because all of those events that I mentioned have passed, and I was just listening. It's like, oh wow, there's a lot going on. Ah, wow, how wonderful! Um, but Black Choreographers uh, Here and Now is celebrating its 16th year, Sweet 16, and is continuing this weekend at Dance Mission on Saturday and Sunday. And then the following week, um, it will close uh, and be at the um, Mills College. It'll be a first time at Mills College. So that's going to be really wonderful. And I wanted to play uh, some of the wonderful interviews that I had with uh, guest artists and choreographers um, today, but um, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so you have to go in the archives because I had some really wonderful interviews um, with, um, gosh, Natalia Schultz, who opened who opened the 16th season um, last weekend at uh, Safe House Arts with a solo piece. And, uh, and this weekend um, it's going to be simply phenomenal. Let me see if I have, um, I can tell you, sort of give you a little, little heads up on who is going to be um, performing. Um, I don't see it. But you can visit their website and find out all the information. And, uh, yeah, and some of the um, some of the artists are only on Saturday and some of the artists are only on Sunday. So, um, so you have to make some hard choices or go to both. Go, go to both days. 
uh, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, and then um, I found out um, by chance someone had a postcard on the on the uh, outside of her door at, at work that uh, African American Shakespeare um, has is uh, mounted the trial and uh, it closes this weekend as well. It is at the um, um, gosh, what's the name of that space? Uh, the yeah, the Toby uh, Theater at the uh, Herps um, Theater um, complex, right there on Benes at McAllister. Um, I don't know the floor, but if you visit African American Shakespeare Company, you can find out all the details. But I, I remember the trial, and um, it's a really, really, really hilarious satire. And I'm sure African American Shakespeare Company is doing a phenomenal job with it. So, so that's closing this weekend, and um, and then um, at the De Young um, Museum, Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power, it continues. And and let me just give you a heads up on some of the um, uh, the events that are coming up on on March 7th. Um, there's a it's a free Saturday, 11 a.m. There's an intergenerational Legacy Poetry with Swell Mel Phillips. That's a panel discussion and poetry event. And and then on March 7th as well, um, there is a 2 p.m., there is a conversation, uh, music and civil rights with Marilyn Fowler. And, uh, and then uh, on March 14th, there's a special event and performance. It's a free Saturday. All these Saturdays are free. 12 p.m. interactive workshops with hip hop for change. They're really phenomenal. And then also on the 14th, there's a talk. Uh, 2 p.m. with Boots Riley, uh, director, um, uh, art activist, and um, it's a really phenomenal exhibition. And you don't want to sleep on it, and you don't want to miss it. It continues through the 15th, which is a Sunday, and these activities, which I mentioned. Um, are um, on a Saturday, the 14th. So there are two more weeks um, of of this wonderful exhibition, Our Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power, 1963 to 1983. And, uh, yeah, it's really wonderful. And in this, um, this month, um, the four Saturday run through the exhibition, um, there's free entry um, and... Uh, and then for Bay Area residents, um, they get a discounted um, uh, entry to Soul of a Nation. So it's $10 for Bay Area residents, and it's free for four Saturdays. And I think the four Saturdays are these four Saturdays, four Saturdays, and oh, no, uh, the fourth Saturday, oh, there are, they've already passed. Whoa. Okay. And, um, yeah, last fourth, fourth Saturday was um, the eighth. And um, I also wanted to mention that at the Oakland, at the West Oakland Library tomorrow, there is a program uh, featuring um, uh, Bay Area African American writers, and that's going to be really wonderful. And I had an interview with uh, Colette Winlock, uh, director of the Health and Human Resources Education Center, about Black Women in Depression magazine that. Black Women in Depression, and the magazine that the organization um, published that's free. You can get a copy of it. So I'm going to run that particular interview, but I wanted to give you a heads up on those other um, events that are happening this weekend. 
um, that you might want to check out. Um, and then at the um, um, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, um, uh, let's see, there is um, a special uh, retrospective of uh, um, is it David Hammond's uh, work, and he is also featured in the. Uh, the Soul of a Movement, and that exhibit is not closing, and there are some other activities connected to it that you have not missed yet. <laughs> but you did miss a really wonderful conversation with the artist and uh, and Professor um, uh, um, Lee uh, Rayford. All righty. So, uh, again, here is Colette Winlock, Director of Health and Human Resource Education Center, and she is one of the writers that is going to be a part of the um, the discussion tomorrow at the West Oakland Library. Uh, that's the sound of blackness and uh yeah, hold on. Change is coming and we are so excited to have Colette Winlock on the air to talk to us about some strategies um that we can use to hang on, you know. Hanging on is not as easy as listening to a good song, right? We need some strategies. So <laughs> um thanks to um the Black Women's Media and Wellness Project, um, there's a magazine called Crossing the Invisible Line 3, Overcoming Depression, with some wonderful tools about how to hold on and, you know, make that change, be that change that you're hoping for. So good morning, Colette. Thank you so much for joining us and to share this wonderful tool as well as other things that are going on at the Health and Human Resource Education Center where you are the executive director well, thank you, Wanda. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about the uh, the magazine and some of the things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So I'm going to finish reading your bio. Uh, you are a published author. You have one novel, Undoing Crazy, which is published by Oaktown Press. Uh, you have a manuscript currently at the copy editing stage, and for 10 years you provided consultant services for diversity training, applied research projects, and curriculum development with the RAND Corporation, Stanford Athletic Department, various counties in California, uh, Texaco, Kaiser, and numerous community-based organizations. 
And for the past 10 years to the present, you've been the executive director, as we mentioned, um, for an Oakland-based nonprofit providing mental health services. You've held director positions at the Bay Area Black United Fund and the National Black Alcoholism Council, California chapter. In the 90s, you were part of a spiritual-based healing and leadership group named the Self-Affirming Soul Healing Africans, Sasha. And with Sasha... Uh, you all carried out groundbreaking work on healing the historic impact of racism on the black body and our communities. Wow, let's let that sink in for a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, is Sasha still around? You know, it, it's not. Um, four of us ended up going into a Ph.D. program, and so after oh. 10 years we, we had to, um, you know, kind of, Stop doing it, but um, one of our um, participants, Dr. Chuck Johns, she did her dissertation on the work that we did with Sasha. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, you have to let me put me in touch with her so I can read that. Sounds great. Sounds Certainly. really great. Yeah, and your undergraduate degree is in uh, kinesiology, and graduate degree, your graduate degree is in cultural anthropology and social transformation. Oh, that's why you're so good at what you do. Besides all the practical stuff, you know, you got scholarship in that area. <laughs> that's quite a combination for sure. Definitely. You are in two sports hall of fames and a women's commission hall of fame. So what are your sports hall of fame fame um you know, accolades? Wow. Well, back in the eighties I was running um track for Cal State Hayward, you know, that's known as Cal State East Bay now. And um, yeah. I was put in their Hall of Fame for track and field. And same for the um, Sacramento Hall of Fame. Well, actually, Rancho Cordova Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So what, so what are your numbers? What are my numbers? Yeah, like, you know, I did a blah, blah, blah in the, I don't know if you were, um, long distance track and field or oh. short, yeah, yeah. So what well, you know, did um, you break? I was, well, I, <laughs> well, I was a sprinter and a hurdler. Um, I was put in the oh, Hall wow. of Fame for the 400 meter hurdles, and at one time I had third ranking actually in the United States for my 400 meter hurdle time. And um, so I ran with some pretty incredible people, and I ran with the Los Angeles Mercurettes, um, Mm -hmm. Berkeley Track Club. And so that running was a big part of my life. I ran up until I was about 37. Hmm. Nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I liked running when I was in um, middle school. But, wow, that's great. Oh, that's really wonderful. Hmm. It seems, Again, it seems you know, like another lifetime, and, but, I, you know, I, I found that, you know, the, the, the whole skill of practicing every day and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, get to your personal best, it's it's something that's carried over, you know, into my work, into my life today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I know a part of, um, you know, HHREC is, you know, um, physical health, like, you know, getting people into a practice of of exercise and showing the connection between, you know, movement and wellness. Exactly. Mhm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And and you also write in your bio that your parents are are deceased, and your father was born in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he uh, he was a veteran, 
Um, and your mother was born in East Los Angeles, and she was a housewife and later a campus supervisor. And you were born in Sacramento and grew up in Alaska and Charleston, South Carolina. Wow, what a breath well, my, there. Well, my, yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, and, you know, oh. we grew up as uh, military dependents, and so about every four years you you travel and you move somewhere. And, you know, going from Alaska to Charleston, South Carolina, because we were in Charleston in the, um, the early 60s. 